If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Well, today we're looking at the last words of the Apostle Paul. It's not the last, last words, but the last words near the end. And he gives us a benediction. Uh, Our culture is fascinated with the last words of famous people. And there are whole books that are written on this topic and whole books that you can go and get uh, just to see what the the last thing of famous people or the last thing that that, uh, important people, according to the world, have said. Uh, And one of the ones that have stuck out to me, uh, I believe, is is Gandhi. And I I, I didn't look it up. I should have looked it up. But I think his last words were something like darkness, all is darkness. Um, as a man that proclaimed to live in the light, and then at the end of his days he said, all was darkness. Uh, and uh, that's an interesting thing. Uh, but, you know, most of the parting words, most of the last words of the famous people are pretty meaningless and empty and vapid, uh, just as much as their lives were. Uh, but we hope in the last words of someone that there's something important Something that would give us a glimpse of the world that is to come. Uh, But in this passage today, what we see is actually a better glimpse than the last words of a dying person. Uh, We see the last words, or near the last words, of the apostle to these believers in Thessalonica. And Paul wants to get across to them some really important things. He wants to give them lasting truth. He doesn't know. If he's going to be able to write to them again, he doesn't know for certain that he will be able to see them again. So he wants to leave them with something and leave them with the most encouraging things that he can leave them with. And here's what he does. He gives them, he, he wants them to know what God is like or who God is. He wants them to know what God has done for them and also what God will do for them. So let me uh, read this for us. This is, again, verses 23 and 24, 1 Thessalonians 5. This is God's good and kind and gracious word to you this morning. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now let's pray and ask for his help in understanding this word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. Uh, We thank you for uh, ordaining our lives in such a way that all of us are here this morning uh, to hear this word from you. And we pray that it would do all that you have promised to do, uh, not for our sake, but for your sake, for your glory. We pray these things. Uh, for your kingdom coming, and for the Lord to be revealed in this world and in our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we are going to look at this in three ways. Who God is, first of all. That's what uh, Paul wants to get across. Probably the major theme that he wants to get across. He begins and ends these verses with who God is. Uh, So let's look at that. Um, So who is God? Two things. He's the God of peace. And he's the faithful God. So the God of peace and the faithful God. 
Who is God? The God of peace. Now, I think there's two reasons why he says this right at the beginning of this benediction. He says this because, we saw this last week, we looked at this a little bit. Uh, Thessalonica was a center of, uh, of military um, uh, of soldiers. It was a center for soldiers to gather. It was actually the city itself was founded by military leaders. Uh, and the city housed a lot of uh, the Caesar's private military, uh, his own private assassins and various people. So uh, the city of Thessalonica would have been filled with soldiers. Um, and a lot of the economy of the city was dealing with uh, war and soldiers. Uh, and maybe even in this church, in this young fleeting church, there would have been soldiers who attended. And it would have stood out to them that, that Paul identifies God as the God of peace. Because soldiers would have worshipped the God of war in Greek culture and Roman culture. They would have worshipped the God who gave them success in military victory. And that is the way the world tends to operate. They want success. They don't want peace Unless it's their peace at the expense of everyone else. But Paul says, now, may the God of peace himself do these things. So they were men of war, perhaps, and they were surrounded by men of war. But Paul says, but your God is the God of peace. The word peace in the Old and the New Testament is not merely just the laying down of weapons. It does mean that. But it's more than that. Peace is wholeness or completeness. It's well-being in every part of you. And it's lacking nothing. It's to be completely satisfied with the way the world is. So he says, may you be satisfied. This is who God is. But there's another reason why he possibly gave them this and talked about the God of peace. Secondly, because of their circumstances. They had given themselves to Christ. They had, uh, they had come to faith in Christ. They had proclaimed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And by doing that, they were now subject to persecution. And we saw this over and over, that they were, they were uh, being drug out of their houses, that some of them were possibly even being killed because of their faith in Christ. So contrast the turmoil of their lives, being kicked out of their homes, being disowned by their parents, having their bank accounts and all of their resources taken away from them, the turmoil of that. And Paul's saying, but God is the God of peace. And it's a reminder to them. Now, your life might be filled with turmoil, and it might seem as though your life is not at peace. But if you worship the living and true God. He is the God of peace. Your life may not feel that way and your circumstances may not look that way, but rest assured, God is the God of peace. That's the first thing that you see, that that God is the God of peace. That's what you see at the very beginning, but now look at the very end. Look at the very end of this. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. God is the God of peace, but he also is the God of faithfulness. And especially this would be important for them as they are undergoing persecution. 
as all those things are happening to them. And what would happen if you are facing that kind of trial, that kind of suffering? What would you be like? Well, I know I would be looking for the exit. I would be looking for the first escape. I would be looking for the way to get out of this. But Paul has been encouraging these Christians to be faithful to Christ. Be faithful to God. Don't leave him. Why should you not leave God? Because even though your life looks like, or even though you're going through suffering and all of these things, God is faithful to you. Your persecution or the persecution that you're undergoing and even the suffering that you might be going through in your life today is not proof that God doesn't love you. That's what the world tends to say to us, that if you are going through some kind of trial and if there's some kind of suffering that you're undergoing, God must not love you. You must have done something wrong. God must be removing himself from you for a time. He's removed his favor from you. And what you need to do is work really hard to get God back on your side. That's the way that the world tends to operate. And sadly, that's the way too many Christians operate as well. And what Paul is reminding these Christians and us is that if we're going through some kind of suffering, it is not because God doesn't love us. It is not because God has removed himself from us. But in fact, because he is with you and he is faithful to you, that may be the very reason why you're going through that suffering. He is testing you. He is trying you. He is causing you to lessen your dependence on the things of the world and increase your dependence upon him. Continue to be faithful to God because he is faithful to you. If you're struggling, if you feel the weight of life and all the pressures of life, think about how God is faithful to you. So God is the faithful God of peace. And this is the ground of their hope. He is the faithful God of peace. It's the ground of our hope as well. It's for your encouragement. You're facing hard things in life. You can rest assured that God is faithful to keep all of the promises that he has promised you. He will never leave or forsake you. And that is the truth that we can receive encouragement. We can, we can be uh, encouraged by that and receive confidence to go do the things that we have to do as Christians. We can do the right things in the face of a world that, that constantly is telling us to do the wrong things. We can have confidence in God and encouragement. And we can be obedient to God because that is our ground. We have been freed by God's faithfulness Be obedient. Not so that we earn his favor, but because we already have it. Not to to make sure he is faithful to us, but because he will not leave us. Now think about husbands and wives and and what happens when one spouse decides that they aren't going to stick around and they are going to be unfaithful. And what they do is they, what happens in that case is the other spouse has no reason to be faithful themselves. And so in a lot of cases, what you get are uh, husbands and wives who are unfaithful to each other because there's no ground, there's no one that they can put confidence in. But that's not the way that it is with God. With God, the pull is, and the tendency that we have is to constantly not be faithful, to, to not do the things we're supposed to do. But God never leaves or rejects us. 
even when we are unfaithful to him. God doesn't bail on us when we're unfaithful. That's good news. He remains the God of peace for us. So that's the first thing we see, who God is. Secondly, we see what God has already done for us. Kind of the past tense thing here. We've been going over this a few weeks in Sunday school, and so if you've been in Sunday school, um, uh, this might be a a refresher for you, and you might grow tired of me saying these things. Uh, But in this passage, what what Paul teaches us is that we have been justified in Christ. And so where do we see this? Look at the very end of verse 23, or kind of the middle end of 23. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, be kept blameless. To be kept blameless. And the indication there in that is that as God's children, we have already been made blameless in some way. That before God, God's children are blameless. That we are pure. That God has done a work in and for us And what is that work? He has declared us righteous. That as his children, we are called his children because he invites us into his home. He accepts us as righteous, even though we don't have a righteousness of our own, even though we don't have a goodness of our own. He has given us the righteousness of Christ. He has pardoned our sins, forgiven our sins, because Jesus took the the debt and the penalty of sin for us, and he has given us the full account of Christ's righteousness so that there is nothing lacking in us before God. Paul's prayer is that we would be kept that way, which means that if you're in Christ, you are already that way. God has already made you blameless before him, that, that right now you... You are in the position before God that you have a status with him completely, fully accepted and acceptable. And you don't have to add any more to that. What does that all mean? Well, again, you are completed in Christ. You don't have to do more work to make God happy with you. Whenever we leave here today, I don't have to say, good luck, and I hope you do good enough, because if you don't, God is going to bang you over the head. That's not the way our God operates. He has justified us in Christ. And if you have faith in Christ, you are, again, fully accepted, fully righteous. And that is who you are. That is why we pray in Christ's name. I, I hope you understand that, that I pray in Christ's name and we pray in Christ's name. Because it's in Christ that we have access to God. It's because we are approved in Christ. And so we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul says over and over and over and over in his, in his letters that we are in Christ. And, and because we're in Christ, we have access to God. We have all the rights and benefits of being a child of God. And I think of it like, like this, that being in Christ, it's like we... We pull on our Jesus suit, but it's not one that we ever take off. My grandfather passed away uh, 13 years ago yesterday, uh, Alexander's birthday. And um, my lasting memory of my grand I have a lot of last memories of my grandfather. Um, but the one that is, 
perhaps the most delightful for me is he would wake up early in the morning uh, and he would walk around the house uh, and summers we'd go stay a week with him in New Iberia and he would walk around the house in his underwear and it was the most disconcerting thing to see an old man walk around the house in his underwear without a care in the world um, and, and he would and he would make breakfast for us that way thankfully by the time grandma woke up he would normally have some clothes on because she would make him put some clothes on but every single morning he put on this coverall like it was just a big jumpsuit and he would leave it basically by his recliner and he would just step in it and zip it up <laughs> and at night he would zip zip it down and uh, go on his merry way but it's just like that that every day we put on our Jesus suit but it's not something that we take off because we are in Christ that's who that's what Jesus that's what that's what God has done for us We have been justified by the faithful God of peace. If you are to be spurred on to grow in your grace, you need this. You need to know that you are already blameless before him. If you are going to be obedient to God, you need to know how you stand with him. You're not trying to gain his approval. You already have it. You're not doing like LSU Gymnastics on Friday nights. We love watching LSU Gymnastics. And they got to go out and they have to compete And they have to get the highest score they can get. And they have to hope it's just enough. But we don't have to. We don't have to compete to get the highest score because Jesus has already gotten it for us. It's an amazing thing to see. It's already been done for you. It's already been given to you. And it's the free gift of God, your justification. But then he goes on to say this. Not just what he has done... Not just who he is, but what he will do. What is the the faithful God of peace who has given you justification, declared you righteous? What will he do for you in the future? Well, he says this. First of all, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May you be completely sanctified. What does that word sanctify mean? It simply just means to be made holy. To be made holy before God. Sanctification is the work of God's grace, whereby we are enabled by the Holy Spirit to die to sin, or uh, the, the way that the old Westminster divines said it, to mortify sin, to kill it, that we are enabled to kill the sin that remains inside of us by God's grace. But not just that, but to live to righteousness, that God will do that for us, that he will sanctify us completely, that he will make us Holy continually. Sanctification is once again the work of God's grace. This is not the work that you do to make yourself right or acceptable or holy in and of yourself. But it's the work that God is doing in you to make you holy. And it's not something, notice, that's done halfway. How much is God going to sanctify you? He's going to sanctify you completely, fully, so that there's nothing lacking. Now, in this passage, there are actually two controversial things that are said. Two controversial things that, um, that theologians and Bible scholars spend way too much time debating. Um, but, but they are important things. Um, uh, one is the holiest holiness movement. Uh, and some people take this to mean that in this life, we will be made completely holy. And that we should be striving for and looking for being made perfect in this life. And there are some people, 
um, who would claim that they have already been made perfect. Uh, every year, about twice a semester, there's a crazy guy that goes to LSU and stands in Free Speech Alley and claims to be perfect, to be completely free of sin, and then he condemns everyone else um, and judges them and their sin. And uh, I, At various times, I'd walk past him, and he would condemn me for my various sins, uh, and I would think, I didn't do any of those things, right? So, um, but, but he takes us to believe that he has been made completely perfect. Well, that's not what this is teaching. But it is the promise that there will be a day when you struggle with sin right now, that sin remains in your body, that you do not do what you want to do. And the very thing you don't want to do is the thing that you continually do. I mean, that's, that's Romans chapter 7. And Paul says that he himself, as an apostle, struggles with sin daily. But there will be a day when you will be completely sanctified before God. That's, that's a promise that God has made. And it's something that he is working on today. Take heart. You are not finished. And the wonderful thing about all those that have faith in Jesus Christ, that, that are children of God, he is working on us. We are not finished yet. Praise the Lord. He's still working on us. He's going to sanctify you completely. And... He will keep you blameless. He will keep you blameless. Um, This is an important thing for us. This is an important thing to remember. If you are being pulled to fall away, to leave Christ, and that these people would have been, right? I mean, maybe you see your child arrested because he believes in Jesus. And you as a parent, all you have to do is is say, I, I okay, I'm not going to believe in Jesus anymore just to get your child out of prison or maybe keep him from being, um, being uh, executed for the sake of Christ. And if you're pulled, pulled to fall away from Christ, if you're pulled to do other things, he's going to keep you blameless. That's God's promise to his people. It's not only that he's going to sanctify you, but he will keep you in himself. And it's a picture of, of someone who is violently holding on to Uh, someone that they love dearly and they will not let them go. That's how God will treat us. He's going to keep you, all of you. This is the second controversial thing. There are some people that take this to mean that we are, um, that we have three parts of ourselves, soul, spirit, and body. Uh, And there's this big debate that goes back whether or not we have two parts, body and soul, or three parts, soul, spirit, and body. I tend to take the, the, the view that says we only have two parts, body and soul because um, what I think he's saying here is that all of you is going to be kept blameless. All of you is going to be um, is going to be completely sanctified. Every last bit of you. So he's using hyperbolic language to express that. All of your mind, all of your body, all of your soul, all of your spirit. And those are the things that Paul says other places. But either way, if it's three parts or two points, all of you will be kept blameless. By God. A couple of years ago, I saw an article and it had a picture of McDonald's burger and French fries. And it looked like just a normal McDonald's burger and French, fry and French fries. And it was up on this guy's shelf. And the article said that 12 years ago, that guy bought a McDonald's burger and French fry and he put it on his shelf to see how long it would stay fresh. And 12 years later, the preservatives and the bun and the meat and and all of the other things that were in there, I think it was just bun and uh, bun and, and meat, and then the French fries. 
It looked perfect and pristine. It looked like what a McDonald's hamburger and french fries is supposed to look like. It was kept, preserved that way. And my point in saying that is God keeps you better than the preservatives in McDonald's food. Amen and praise the Lord. And here's the thing. God is very concerned, more concerned. Uh, this is something I hear often. And this is true. God is more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. That's true. God is more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. Um, but I think that kind of limits something, an important point. Because our holiness before God is our happiness. That as we become more like Jesus Christ, the more happy we will be. Um, if you see someone at the end of their life uh, who claims Jesus, who is more and more bitter, more and more angry, the reality is, is that they aren't more like Jesus Christ. They're less like Jesus our holiness is our happiness. But God is more concerned about those things than, than, here's the beautiful thing. God is more concerned about our holiness than we are. Do you get that? God is more concerned about your holiness at any given moment than you're concerned about your holiness. Even at your very best, God is more concerned to make you more like Jesus than you ever will be. Why is that such good news? Because, look at the very end. Look, look at what Paul says. He will surely do it. He will do this. There is no doubt in Paul's mind, the apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us the word of God, that God will completely sanctify us and that we will be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt. So, if you're struggling this morning, maybe you think to yourself, well, I just don't feel like I'm very close to Christ. I don't feel like God uh, has attended himself to me. I don't feel like one of God's children. He will surely do it. Our feelings lie to us all the time. Our feelings will lie to us and tell us, and, and actually I think Satan manipulates our feelings to make us feel further away from God. You cannot, if you are his children, you cannot be far away from God. He has promised to be with you always. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, told his apostles, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. He has not left us. This is, uh, I think there is a call to obedience here. There is a call for us to live as Christ would have us live. But more than that, it's a call to love Jesus Christ, to see him at work inside of us. And it's also a way for us to be patient with each other. From the youngest of us to the oldest of us, to be reminded he's not done with us. And we can praise the Lord for what we see him doing in each other's lives. And I hope that we can do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us... Uh, this message today, we pray that you would encourage our hearts with this, with it, that we would see you uh, sustaining us and preserving us, for you making us more and more like Christ. We long for the day where we will be completely sanctified in Christ at his coming. And we pray, Father, uh, that you uh, would show us yourself in that work, that we as a, a community here would remind each other of that, that we would be patient with one another, and that we would be patient as you do these things. Pray all of this in Christ's name.